If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Some are big, as tall as a table at the shoulder. Some are small enough to fit into a teacup. They can be loud, they can be mischievous, they can be playful. They are almost always adorable. I am talking about man's best friend, talking about dogs. I grew up with Great Danes, so I have this real soft spot for big, gawky, awkward dogs that think they're lap dogs, but actually weigh 120 pounds. Uh, I love I love Danes. Uh, but today, our Places editors, Michelle Cassidy and Jonathan Carey, have two really lovely stories about two different dogs. And these dogs were no ordinary canines. These were little furry heroes who you can actually still visit today, albeit in a much less alive and much more taxidermied format. But nonetheless, their stories are delightful and inspiring. And the first story comes from Washington, D.C., and Michelle has the rest. Back in college, I was part of a student group that took care of Georgetown University's beloved canine resident, Jack the Bulldog. We walked Jack, fed him, drove him around campus in his very own golf cart, escorted him to events, brought him across the court at halftime during basketball games, and regularly wiped the drool off of his wrinkled face. It's a long-running tradition. The dog that I helped take care of was one in a line of English bulldog mascots, each and every one of them named Jack, that started at Georgetown in 1962. But the school's very first dog mascot actually came a few decades before all the Jacks, in the form of a scrappy little terrier mix named Stubby. He didn't come from any distinguished breeding line, and he was never a contender for best in show, but Stubby had more than enough accolades. He was known to many as Sergeant Stubby, and he fought with American troops in World War I. He's been called the most decorated dog in American military history. Stubby's military career began in July 1917, when he found himself on the grounds of a different university, Yale in New Haven, Connecticut. He was a stray of unclear age or breed, who had wandered into the area where the 102nd Infantry of the U.S. Army was training. 
There, the stout, brindle-coated dog inadvertently found himself a family. The unit adopted him as a mascot and called him Stubby because of his short tail. The men of the 102nd Infantry, 26th Division, taught Stubby how to be a proper member of their unit. He followed along, learning their drills and bugle calls. When his fellow soldiers raised their hands for a salute, Stubby sat up on his hind legs and raised his right paw to his face in a salute of his own. Stubby grew particularly attached to one soldier, Private James Robert Conroy. When it came time to ship out, Conroy snuck Stubby onto the ship, which was bound for France. He stayed hidden in a coal bin until they were far out at sea. When a commanding officer eventually discovered the dog, Stubby saluted him, just as he had been taught to do at training camp. The commanding officer was so impressed that he allowed Stubby to stay on board. Now, some other countries had official military dogs at this point, but the U.S. military didn't have an official canine corps during the First World War. Stubby was one of many informal military dogs among the troops. His unit reached the front lines on February 5, 1918. Stubby was right in the middle of the trenches, but the sounds of our heavy artillery fire didn't seem to bother him. His first injury of the war came in the form of exposure to mustard gas. He was taken to a field hospital and nursed back to health. And after that, Stubby was sensitive to the teeniest traces of gas. It was a skill that came in handy. Later, when his division was hit by an early morning gas attack, Stubby ran through the trench, barking and biting at the soldiers to wake them up and sound the alarm, saving many from inhaling the toxic air. Stubby also had a talent for locating wounded soldiers between the trenches. He would find them and lead them back to safety, or if they couldn't walk, stay by their side and bark until medics arrived. But one of Stubby's greatest wartime accomplishments was catching a German soldier who was attempting to map out the Allied trenches. Stubby spotted the spy, chased him down, and pinned him to the ground until U.S. soldiers arrived. Toward the end of his time on the Western Front, Stubby was injured by a German grenade. He was rushed to a hospital where shrapnel was removed from his chest and legs. Once he had recovered enough to move around at the hospital, he started visiting the other wounded soldiers. He made friends basically everywhere he went. During the summer of 1918, a group of French women made Stubby a military uniform. Over time, it grew heavy with medals and ribbons and other decorations, and a little patch on the side that bore his name. Some of the medals on the jacket did technically belong to his companion, Robert Conroy, but he credited Stubby with getting him through the war and was more than happy to share the glory. Stubby was deployed for a total of 18 months. The most decorated dog of World War I returned to his country a hero. He met with presidents and military leaders, he marched in parades, and his story was told in newspapers across the country. He stayed with his longtime companion, Robert Conroy, and when he went to Georgetown University for law school, Stubby followed along. He wound up becoming the school's unofficial mascot. It was sort of his thing at this point. Even as an old dog, he always had an appetite for new tricks, 
and he learned to push around a football for a little performance on the field at halftime. Stubby died in his sleep in March 1926. The obituary that ran for him in the New York Times took up half a page, which was significantly longer than the obituaries of many notable people at the time. Robert Conroy arranged for Stubby's remains to be mounted by a taxidermist so that future generations could still know the heroic dog, in a way. For a time, Stubby was displayed at the American Red Cross Museum, and then in 1956, he was moved to the Smithsonian National Museum of American History. His taxidermied remains still sport the little canvas jacket, decorated with his dozens of medals and ribbons. Stubby, thank you for your service. The next pup we are meeting traveled all around the world and met some very interesting and important people over the course of its life. Jonathan Carey has the story. When venturing through the atrium of the Smithsonian National Postal Museum, you are immediately engulfed in postal lore and wonder. Massive airmail planes soar above and antique carriages below, harken back to the days of modalist mail transportation. But amid these amazing exhibits, there is one that truly stands out. Inside a glass case, adorned with medals and various trinkets, rest the taxidermied remains of Oni, the postal dog. Now, during his time, Oni was considered the most well-traveled dog in U.S. history having knots well over 100,000 miles across the globe riding on various postal vehicles, mostly on the back of mail trains. With his scraggly orange fur and signature harness, Oni became the unofficial mascot of the U.S. Postal Service during the late 19th century. But before achieving international fame, Oni was just a lonely stray wandering the streets of Albany, New York. One day, to escape the brutal winter cold, Oni crept through the back door of the local post office, and there he found warmth just sleeping on the mailbags. The story goes that Oni truly loved the scent of the bags. And it wasn't before long before a postal clerk discovered Pooch's resting spot and decided to take the dog in. The post office became Oni's new home in 1888. And when that clerk left his job, Oni remained. Wherever the mailbags went, Oni followed. First onto wagons, and then later that same year, Oni finally hit the rails riding in mail cars. For nearly a decade, Oni rolled the rails, protecting his beloved mailbags. Now, during his time on the train, Oni was cared for by the mail clerks, and whenever the train stopped, Oni would jump off with the bags, mosey around the station a bit with his celebrity status, then hop back on the train with a fresh batch of mail to hit the rails again. Oni was also considered a good luck charm by many during a time when railway accidents were far too common. Along his journeys, postal workers and travelers would adorn Oni with various trinkets, now, these range from simple things such as baggage check tags and hotel room keys, all the way to dog licenses. 
The collection actually grew so large around Oni's neck that the postmaster general at the time, John Wanamaker, made the pooch a special harness. It said that whenever Oni would walk, you could hear him coming. He would jingle like a sleigh bell. And whenever his harness got too heavy to carry, clerks would remove some of the tags and send them back to either Albany or Washington, D.C. for safekeeping. But, as we mentioned, Oni was a world traveler. And in August 1895, he embarked on a world tour to promote the city of Tacoma, Washington. A Tacoma influencer of sorts. Oni helped deliver mail across Asia, North Africa, the Middle East, and Europe via steamships and trains during this tour. He returned to the United States that winter. Eventually, old age and illness began to take their toll on Oni's health to the point where he was no longer allowed to ride on his beloved trains due to his temper. In 1897, he was allowed one last ride. And during that trip, Oni bit a postal clerk and attacked his handler in Toledo, Ohio. The local postmaster deemed Oni uncontrollable and ordered the beloved mascot to be euthanized. The news of Oni's deaths caused a national uproar. It led to an outpouring of donations from mail clerks across the country to preserve Oni's remains. He was eventually preserved and put on display in the post office department's headquarters in Washington, D.C. And in 1911, Oni became the property of the Smithsonian Institute. And an entire century after that, Oni appeared on a U.S. postage stamp. Today, the beloved Oni holds a prominent position in the center of the atrium, just as he did on the mail trains he serviced all those years. Adorned in his famous harness and surrounded by his various medals and trinkets, this brave pup's legacy lives on. Thank you to Michelle Cassidy and Jonathan Carey for these really lovely stories. They're just two examples of actually a surprising number of stories like this that we have in Atlas Obscura. We call them heroes of taxidermy. It's not just dogs. There are birds. There's a hippo. They all have a heroic story to tell and were commemorated by being stuffed. Uh, so if you're curious to learn about other heroes of taxidermy or want to learn about the two that we talked about today in the show... We will put links in the show notes. See you next time. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Baudelaire, Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. And this episode was sound designed by Manolo Morales and mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com there is a link in the episode description. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Willa Paskin, the host of Decoder Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Decoder Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet, you know, to describe a hairstyle, come from? That's Decodering, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by the New York Times. Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex. Of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radio Lab adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts.